Welcome to another edition of Safety Talks. If it's your first time, welcome. And if you're returning, it's great to have you back. We're gonna be talking with Anas Hemwe, who is the Senior Director of Population Health and Safety and Injury Management at Walgreens, and Matthew Hart, who is the founder of Soto Analytics. We're gonna be speaking about preventing injuries in the workplace through building a value system where everyone is responsible for health and safety throughout the workplace. So let's dive into our conversation. So welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you both on the show. Good to be here. Same thing. Great to be here. Now, Anas, in our pre-planning conversation, you talked about uh, building safety from procedural sides and and to making sure that it's not standalone. Um, And really like the mindset of just zoning in to be just compliant or, you know, which a lot of safety professionals are tending to do. And one of the interesting things that you brought up was that it needs to be part of the DNA of the um, site procedures. Are you able to kind of expand on this, this thought that you were sharing with us? Um, absolutely. I, I think the idea here is, is really, when you think of it, at the end of the day, what are you trying to accomplish as safety professionals? You really, yeah. what are you trying to do, improve health outcome and improve uh, the life and well-being of uh, population, employees, communities. I think that that's really what the, the, at the end of the day, the ultimate goal. So population health overall, occupational health and safety, mobility, productivity are really truly uh, manifestations of what I call it an organization core commitment okay. and value commitment to its own most important asset, which your own employees. Uh, so you think of it when, when the profession professionals and the profession trying to really build it up, you got to think of it not just on the procedures like we talked about standalone. It's not really just the regulation compliance piece. It's not just the data I will read. It's a cultural change, a journey that you have to go through and build that commitment at every level on the organization. And there are many ways to approach this, what I call it, end-to-end approach in a cohesive way to create that commitment. It does not come from just one set of view, but come from many set of uh, uh, what I call it expectations from everybody Mm-hmm. themselves, their colleagues and communities, and obviously the organization they work for. And we can talk a little bit more in details, you know, uh, through this conversation. Mark, did you have anything that you wanted to add? Did that spark anything that you was, you know? Uh, yeah, no, it did. Um, so I also like the approach of getting many different people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the authoritarian sort of safety culture that some organizations or safety managers try to bring in is actually detriment, detrimental actually to health and safety. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, what I personally really like is that when everyone in an organization, and it's not even just health and safety, it can be anything, is trying to achieve the goals of the organization. So whether it's productivity, whether it's health and safety, whether it's um, quality control, if you can build culture that then everybody buys into and everyone tries to achieve, this is way more effective than just having one single person or a small number of people trying to achieve goals. Because if there's one thing I've learned um, starting a business and, and now scaling it is that if you try to do everything yourself, it completely fails. Um, so if you've got a thousand or ten thousand or in some cases a hundred thousand person workforce and you try to put like one person in charge of that, well, good luck because it's it's basically set up to fail. Right. Right. I just want to add, I mean, I love what Matt stated is is really what when you turn that thinking, it's not can I be one professional? Can I mm-hmm. be one one function responsible? Safety is just not the job of safety folks in a building or an organization. It's really the job of everybody. And when you think of it, especially when a large organization, when you build it via your core competencies, your behavior training, your recognition system, your accountability system, you're able to speak the language across the whole organization, especially from leader-led approach, mm-hmm. you'll be way more successful than just really from safety folks, professionals trying to drive results. Well, and if we look at culture, 
it really is a is a, a group of people who have common values and beliefs and ideas. And and so, you know, I'm thinking back in, in when I was working with my teens. And for me, what was so powerful was when you shared with them doing the audits, doing the observations, and asking them to, to bring forward um, things that they're noticing themselves that are putting themselves or other people at risks, be it in their own departments or just throughout the store. And it was just incredible about how much people would bring to you when you were open to listening. And I think a big piece of it also though, Anas, is, is staying away from just being dismissive when people are, are trying to engage. Agree. I think being dismissive or like you stated, just let's fill a checklist. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure this is what we walked over. It really is not going to play well at the end of the day. You need that mutual understanding, respect, trust, care, really. Uh, safety is about humanity. I mean, people keeping each other safe is in the core of being humanity. And, and that's really what, what you're going to be able to exhibit it, live it, passionately be able to advocate through it. And I agree with you. It's really about culture at the end of the day to get these results. Yeah, I like, I like that point. Um, so we have the opportunity to work with like a lot of clients all over the world. So everywhere from like Australia through Europe and into the US. Um, and what's interesting to see is like the different cultures in different countries. And, and there's some big differences. So if I look at Australia, for example, which is where I'm from originally and, and worked in the mining industry there for about 10 years, there is a big culture. It's a very good culture in, let's call it early reporting. So mm. if you're going to about to have an injury, people report and they report early and the organization takes it seriously. Um, when I come to the States and it's not every organization, but there's, there's organizations out there where basically employees don't early report. Um, and in one of the presentations that I do, sometimes I talk about, um, a bit of my background, I'm, I'm an engineer, I'm not from a health and safety background, I'm a mechanical engineer. And I try to talk about techniques that can be applied from engineering into health and safety. And one of the techniques that we use is um, preventative maintenance. So doing the maintenance on a machine before the breakdown happens. And, and you can do it for people as well. Mm -hmm. But in order to do it, you need the early report, you need the early sign, you need someone to say, or something to say that there's about to be a problem. Um, so when I do this talk to people in the US, one of the things that I really push is, okay, you need, you need to try to change the culture of your organization if you don't have an early reporting system in place. And you're gonna to have to really push it. You're gonna to have to explain to employees what happens when they do early report, because a lot of them are scared of it's gonna backfire on them and the, the company is gonna performance manage them out. Mm -hmm. um, and then to Anas's point, um, he said, like, you need to build that trust. Yeah. And what I say and, and what we encourage people to do is that if someone does early report and you finally change the culture of your organization for that to happen, please don't F it up, if you know what I mean. Like, don't, mm -hmm. don't take that case. And even if it's like one of your, your workers where, okay, maybe some people do want a performance him or her out of the business, just don't. Because you can actually build a culture by supporting this person. And then one... Yeah, then a hundred people will see that and then five people will earlier. And that's how you actually build a culture. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to push back a little bit here. Um, being um, Canadian and working in, in the front level, uh, one of the things that does happen in companies that don't have strong or, or healthy uh, management practices is that the employees, there is punitive measures taken. I have seen that so many times in places that I've worked where people do try to speak up and they get shamed for it. And so I think that's something that really needs to be discussed because in my, in my view, that's a type of um, harassment in the workplace. If you're being told, we value safety, we want you to speak up by the health and safety um, professionals, and then when you do speak up, the site manager and other people um, make mock you and make fun. That is the struggle that's actually in real life 
And so like, how do, as safety professionals, how do we break that? Because Matthew, you talked about um, breaking the, the cycle of dependency. However, mm -hmm. I think that this kind of behavior also cultivates the dependency. Uh, yeah, it can, it can definitely, um, because basically what the example you described, which, which is definitely happening, um, mm -hmm. probably happening thousands of times a day across the world, if not more, um, is basically encouraging people not to take responsibility. Um, and if, if the worker or the individual is not taking responsibility, then apparently someone else has to. Um, so then you become dependent on someone to take responsibility, the safety person. Um, and it's just poor management. Um, and, and then you have operations managers, which are probably the line manager of these people with one of their performance metrics is very often like injury rates or, or safety, some sort of safety metric. And they're trying to manage the workforce that aren't managing themselves. I don't know anyone who really wants to do that. I don't know what you're thinking us, but I don't think that's a great way to do anything, right? I agree. I think the way it get described by you, Matt, and, and Tamara, I think if you think of it, it's really about the leader mm -hmm. at the end of the site. I mean, it's safety professional or the site, larger organization, whatever your workplace is, uh, you, if you have a conversation, uh, corrective action, support, training for these individuals, you'll really, you, you'll have some incremental wins, right? You, you'll succeed a little bit, but the true success, the really noticeable success will come when you work directly and then mess with the leaders and the leader commitments start driving that behavior. I mean, think of the scenario that we just heard from Mara and I, I relate to what some of that conversation, if it's become the other way around, if the leader, when they heard that conversation from the employee recognized their employee and pat them on the shoulder for great work, bringing this to my attention. And I can be able, and we're in this together to get us to win, not just because of you, because of the other thousand folks that I have working here, to all of us together and the value for the organization, including clearly a regulation side and the financial value for the company or, or the organization. If you communicate that way, if you can speak that different language and health and safety professionals able to lead that way, Mm -hmm. within their group, uh, I think they'll be more successful and be able to turn that around a little bit. Well, and we talk about building trust and how important it is, but trust is actually built in those moments and trust is broken in those moments. So for example, I, I remember um, a, a critical incident that occurred was a fire in, in one of the departments. And the, the reason for that was because people were putting pizza boxes on an oven and despite all efforts to try to get another solution in there to put the pizza boxes on, the, the store manager just pushed it off as not important. When people tried to talk to him about it, he would pretend he was on the telephone. This is the real life about what workers are dealing with. So I push back when you say, well, you know, the workers have to be responsible because I find that a lot of times the workers are very responsible. But the workers are also fed up with having to deal with managers who are disrespectful. And I think that's part of a conversation that needs to be broken up and out and discussed because we can't expect the workers to come forward and trust that if they, they say something, they're going to be treated with respect if we allow those kind of managers to still exist in the system that are being dismissive and disrespectful. And what happened was that when the, um, the regional manager, um, very far higher up, um, found out about it, pulled me into his office and like, how did this happen? And so I explained to him and I had put emails and everything as a, um, a trail and shared it with him. And he just shook his head and he went right to that, that manager and said, hey, you're responsible for the fire because employees came to you people came to you and you dismissed them. So don't go blaming the employees and everybody else. And I think more of that has to happen to these dismissive managers because uh, when I look at issues that have gone wrong, often people have said, well, we tried to report it, but nobody would listen. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, I, think um, I, was, I was gonna be really critical on that manager for a second. Yeah, but, but then I thought, 
you know, maybe I'm doing the same thing within my team. Um, because, you know, sometimes you get busy, sometimes you have all these other priorities, sometimes it's hard to manage all the priorities and something, sometimes things drop to the bottom. So uh, I, I don't know, it, it's a hard one, but uh, it clearly is not a great story and not a great reflection of the culture of that business. Having said that, I don't think it's the manager's fault as well, because why did, why did his managers not notice that that was happening? Because he didn't no, say anything. Yeah, but, but because it stopped you know, at him. One of yeah, actually, right? good point. And one of one of the things that um, again, in my time working in the mining company, they they basically created a metric that all managers, no matter how much how senior they are, had to spend time in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and even for quite senior managers, that number was ten percent, twenty percent. So you know, if that that manager's manager was walking the floor in the restaurant for 10% of his time, let's say, that, that would have become pretty clear that, that, that something is going on there. Um, so sometimes we set up our companies in a way that we, we actually separate our managers from what's really going on, mm-hmm. which is kind of dumb because the, what's really going on is the productivity. So you should spend time really trying to understand that. I, I, I want to make a comment here. I think this is right on when, when exactly what Matt found. How do you set up your system? What's really your system set up uh, from the work itself? Is safety embedded in that system? Not a standalone. Again, I think some of the good example, these for me all looks like an example of standalone safety culture. If the system's set up in a way that I can see, as you, I think, Tamara mentioned the example, regional manager. If I'm the regional manager and I get on a consistent reporting of safety data that operationally I can understand, I'm not just throwing data there just to talk from the safety language, but operation tells me in a way that I can understand it. How do I understand it? First of all, you relate it by people. Pretty simple. You have five of your people get injured, your employees get injured. Why? What's that looks like? I'm just pointing some examples. What things can be done about it? how we can be able to relate that conversation to improve engagement in your workplace as, a, as an organization, as a workplace. What that language looks like, what these losses can be that you might incur uh, as, a, as a you know business unit or as an organization. If I see that, then that story of uh, some of these, I want to call them uh, pauses, I'll have more visibility. I will be able to ask you questions. I want you to think of a day when a safety profession is not in the room. When the regional manager is talking to his or her manager saying, how many safety incident issues you had last week or last month in your business? Tell me about them. What did we do about it? That's the culture I'm, I'm speaking to. The safety professionals of these days, and I think the pandemic brought a great example when you really a lot of the occupational health and safety professional jumped right in to the front line to help and support. You have to be able to speak these languages and these different functions and how you relate to it to become more successful. You put it on your shoulders, you will not. You'll prevent an injury, you'll prevent an incident, but you will not make substantial change and what that looks like. And I wanna use another word, we talk about trust, right, and care, but I wanna talk about transparency. Transparency in everything you do, whether from the data you set and the system that you have <clears throat> and the open communications can play a long way to get you the results you're looking for. And I think you've touched on something there about the transparency, because a lot of times in companies that are doing things really well and are excelling, I notice that there is a lot of transparency. You, they, they don't hide things. Whereas those that create the facade that they're doing well in safety or are not at all doing well at safety is that there's this um, culture of not disclosing. It's very strong. You can really feel it at the worker level. Like there's just things you just don't say to the senior staff, right? Like um, never would be able to come to you and ask and and, um, talk to you just one-on-one, even for mentorship, because it would be like, well, why are you talking to that senior person? That's not your place. And so breaking that open so that um, there's more knowledge sharing and transference of what's going on. We, when we look at the, you know, the dependency cycle, 
and and it's very noticeable that there seems to be um, trying to control everything um, and we want to move away so it is more open I kind of wonder is the safety professional afraid of losing that control and power because that's what sets them apart at times at some companies yeah I think I think bad ones are yeah for sure yeah. Um, yeah, like, uh, you know, it's the control freak, um, bad managers are control freaks or, or let's say it the other way, control freaks are bad managers, but there's, there's, there's all these human, um, I don't know what the word is like, not quite emotions, but all this human stuff going on when people aren't confident in themselves and, and their own abilities. And, you know, all of a sudden those people then try to protect themselves at all times, um, which is not great to see. And, and you can break that by before they, they become managers by a good manager of them actually coaching them through that. And, and that's a whole nother piece to talk about one day. But, um, you know, when someone does talk, listen. Um, and it's maybe it's a little bit different to the point that you said, but when you're trying to get people to actually stand up and say something, um, usually you've got a room of people and it's the loudest person that always talks. And, you know, you're always hearing that person's opinion and, and all the other ones, all the other 19 people in the room are quiet and not saying anything. Um, so to try and engage more people, you've also got to get the quiet ones to talk and really support when they do. Um, but it, it's, people don't you know if, if they're they're being controlling and, and they don't want to actually hear opinions they're never going to do any of that stuff and and basically they just try to manage it all themselves burn out and fail that's a that's a great i thought that was a great question i mean that's a great question and i'm glad we have in this conversation part, part of it is uh from the safety professionals and i'm not i'm just like matt he's from the engineer background i'm from the healthcare side background i'm not i'm not a health and safety professional by training. Um, I'm, I'm on the operational side of the business and, and the um, leadership of the business. But the key for me is uh, the safety training that I've seen through my career the last definitely five, six years, a lot of professionals are lean on what they learned. A lot of things they learned are tied up to regulations, practices, procedures. Uh, they have to follow exactly what was written or they understood because that's the only way you can deliver the results, which probably is truly accurate, but you cannot get to um, get folks to buy in on what you're trying to do by just repeating the same things and expect everybody got it. It doesn't work that way. Similar when you think of somebody go to a physician and, and the physician having the conversation to ensure the patient have a good adherence to their medication or the treatment plan. The, a lot of patients, sometimes they don't. The successful physicians don't go and lean on and say, well, that's what I learned in college you need to do. That's what I learned in medical school you need to do. They actually relate to you at personal level and try to change the conversation to make sure how it's good for me at the end of the day. And that's what we need to have. Uh, I think safety professionals, and you know, I want to definitely turn it back to you folks, but safety professionals should be truly successful. You have to think outside of your box completely outside the box. And you have to see the picture beyond just the prevention, but you have to see the picture of what happened to Matt's point, early reporting, successful reporting, proper data systems utilized, able to read it, communicate it. Is there an advocacy support at the end of the day? Do you understand the whole spectrum of things you deal with end to end? So when you walk into a senior level or a boardroom, you'll be able to converse the right information and how it's impacting business and people. I think we would all agree that safety professionals, are, they're a leadership position, right? Um, and you, when you're explaining the doctor, I was for some reason thinking of like a coder or an engineer. Um, and you could be highly technical and you could create like perfect code or a perfect solution, but that's not leading people. Um, it's got a value, don't get me wrong, in being highly technical, but uh, being a safety professional is a leadership position. It's the interaction with the, the workforce that actually provides so much of the value. So you, you kind of have to be good at it to be good at that sort of leadership position. And, and to build on what you were saying is that it's, 
your talent, your skill, soft skill set needs to be not just turning to um, the senior levels to be able to communicate to them, but then being very agile to flip around and communicate to the work level. And those two speak very different languages of business. And um, I have a social work is my degree that I hold in my profession prior to safety. And I suspect that, you know, I've always come at uh, safety as a, a person who is a resource and a guide to help them get what they need to create the safest work environment for their areas. And so I wanted to see if you could maybe share some tangible recommendations to everybody about how, first of all, how do we start to break this cycle of thinking as, this, as a safety person? Maybe I, I wanna probably just take a, you know, there, I, I agree with you. First of all, the conversation had starts from <clears throat> self-evaluation. You, you gotta know, first of all, as a professional, I love what Matt stated about leadership. This is a leadership role. It has to be effective. You gotta look a little bit at just self-evaluate. Am I effective what I'm doing? Am I getting results? Am I frustrated? Am I getting, do I have partnerships? This is a great example conversation for industry partnership. We're in three different parts of the globe having conversation about what I call safety is a global language. And you have to be able, am I able to interact with that right way? If you know, be able to self-reflect and figure out where are my gaps are, what are my learning needs to be, then you will expand and you'll be, you'll be able to be thriving. And you cannot just look at yourself into, I'm a safety professional. Do I be able, a good example, I'm gonna bring in a tangible example. If you walk into your finance folks in a division or a company, are you be able to relate what you're seeing to that loss, how it's gonna look like on the claim side, alleged liability side, long-term impact on the brand of the business, and you'll be able to tie it up with the accounting piece of it. Did you learn that piece? That's for me, number one. Number two, if you walk in a good example to your HR personnel, human resources personnel, are you able to relate that uh, safety incidents can impact engagement scores in your organization, can impact uh, things that relate to your organization and be able to tie up that thread and be able to weave that, weave that uh, build that big picture. These are the tangible examples and it takes work, hard work, collaboration, cross-functional work, trusting with your colleagues. And if you're gonna stay on your own with your uh, skill set, you, I don't think these days, uh, again, uh, safety professors can be successful. Yeah, agreed, very much agreed. Um, you, you touch all the different, as a safety professional, you, you touch the workforce, you're, you're in touch with the workforce and the workforce is the only reason the whole business exists. So <laughs> you need to understand everything, whether it's how to hire a new person, um, how to retain people, how they make money, this, this workforce, and how safety just threads its way all through all the productivity of all the different parts of what happens within a business. You just need to understand it all, yeah, and have the right conversations with the right people. And that, that way you can build your safety culture into all these other departments as well. So it's great. You know, it's interesting. I was having um, a conversation with my friend Louis today and I asked him, well, what is the one frustration that a lot of CEOs have with safety professionals that, um, you know, they, they get along with all the other executives, but what is it about the safety professional that's so different? He's like, well, he's like, you know, other, the other executives will come with a one year to a five year plan about what their departments need. He goes, whereas the safety people tend to come with something for the moment. And then they'll say, oh, I really need this right now. And so you shell out money for that. And then three months later, they'll come with something totally different. And he said, it's, it's, it's kind of like you're, you're looking at them going, listen, you're supposed to be a professional. What's your plan? What's your strategy? Like, what's your long term? He goes, whereas in companies where the safety professional excels and does really well, what he's learned is that they tend to actually think more like the other executives in creating those plans. So, Anas, is he right? Like, is there something to this that he's saying? He's absolutely right. You, you cannot bring, like, I, I'll bring an example from my world a little bit. We always have a three to five years plan. 
And uh, we remember probably without going into a lot of details, but when you put a five years plan, for example, what's your baseline of rate of injuries? What's your baseline for lost workdays? What's really the impact currently on your brand liabilities, uh, customer employees, customer engagement? Uh, and you have to do a lot of hard work first to figure out what's really happening. Transparent way, honest way to make a change. And then you're gonna put the plans about, do I have the right resources? And do I have the right experts? But the most important thing is, do these folks understand, to Matt's point, I love what he said uh, you know, you know, minutes ago about folks, do they understand the operation? Do they understand the employees and the customer and the setting, the physical work environment, not just coming from set of rules or regulations? And if you have that all in place, and then you look at the, what I call it, the management system of the safety world. And I, in my world, I don't have it that uh, standalone. It's tied up to the population health system in, in an organization that you really have a three years plan to five years plan to deliver good safety outcome, improved healthcare outcome, really great engagement scores outcome and great customer satisfaction. And you'll be able to tell that story that way and obviously minimize your losses. Um, you know, I want to add one more example. I love examples is when you talk about slip and fall, for example, every business has a slip and fall injuries and parking lots and inside work. Uh, we, don't, we don't have that conversation about slip and fall. We talk about customer experience. We talk about how this slip and fall is a, a very uh, disruptive customer experience in your, for your customers, your communities. You know, and, and, and what's the really how we can you know, prevent it and I'll be able to deal with it. I've got a funny story. I was doing a presentation in Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, and there was there was maybe 30 people there. And then we were doing a bit of networking afterwards. And there was this safety professional from a bottling, they bottle water basically. Um, I don't know. She, she had been there maybe 20 years, it sounded like. And basically they were bottling the water and then they were basically putting a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi or something label on it and selling it. Um, and I'm an engineer. I'm like, okay, cool. All right. What I asked her, what's the unit cost of a bottle of water? Because when I buy it, it costs me a dollar. And, and in Australia, it costs me $4 for some stupid reason. Um, so uh, I'm like, what's the unit cost? What does it cost you? And she says, I have no idea. I was just, I was tearing my hair out a little bit. I'm like, how could you not know that? That's all you need to know. Like, what is the unit cost and what do you sell it to? And, and okay, like you're in a safety role. So, okay, you got to keep people safe, but you need to know that. Um, and actually I'm, I've got a new theory that I've sort of made up now in this, in this conversation after hearing Anas's background is that I think the most successful and the most forward thinking safety professionals don't come from a purely health and safety background. They've, they've gone out and they've done other stuff and they've, they've seen that there's a world out there and they sort of understand how money is made and how productivity is done and and how to balance safe you know how to balance the push for productivity with keeping people safe whereas people who just stay in safety just become more and more risk adverse more and more to your point tomorrow of thinking like right now rather than long term what is the strategy here um, and it's really detrimental actually um, so and i guess there are a lot of safety professionals in this call in this um, listening to this um, the best advice I ever got through my career is try to build your your career like a pyramid. So don't don't do one and two things and then get a promotion because that's as high as you can go. You don't know anything else. But try to do many things and try to build your base of your pyramid quite wide because wide bases can be built higher. Um, yeah, so it's the best advice I ever got. Um, I, I probably, I try to tell everyone in, in my company at least about this and why you need to, if you want to go high, you want to learn many, many different things. And if you work in a bottling, bottling company, you need to know the unit cost. I mean, you just need to, I, I just can't imagine why you wouldn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I want to I want to look a little deeper um, about this knowledge transfer that we started to talk about a little bit ago. And um, you really want to be changing the, the landscape that we have right now, where the health and safety person predominantly holds the keys to the kingdom, if you will, about um, the legislation and, and the list about what they should be checking, etc. 
And um, from my work, um, and again, it's probably because I come from a social work background, when they, they looked at me and said, well, you do health and safety because you're the health and safety professional. I looked back at them and I was like, mm, no, I can't keep you safe. That's a you thing. I can be there to provide the resources and everything that you need to do your job to, to keep you safe. Um, and so, you know, I want to look at like what we use to transfer that knowledge and the controls being used. Um, are they effective or, or not effective? Like one of the common ones that's used is training. And Anasa, you had some things to say about that in our pre-planning discussion. I was hoping you could kick this off and share that. Yeah, probably. I mean, I will, I will say there, I agree with you, some of these controls and some of them has a probably more effective than others. But I think what's important folks to, you know, for the professionals and really frankly across, you know, any organization, it's not just one tool. It's just not one way, one control. You got to think of this collectively, what that's kind of come together at the end of the day. So training, in my mind, um, it's one step, but still a very critical step. And, and I'm going to explain why, because folks, you know, training is gets things in the front of you as an always reminder of things that you need to know. You might not be perfect. You might, you know, shrug it off. You might forget about it. But training is what I call it the baseline. Let me know at least from touch point that those things I need to learn. The next one level for me is the communication. You have to have a consistent, empowering, inspiring communications to really be able through storytelling, focus feedback, focus recognition, to highlight wins and challenges. And through that storytelling, you'll be able to focus on, on really what you need to get uh, deliver what's needed possible to make you more successful. And the most also critical one, obviously, is to really have a system in a way that communicate the right data, the right information, understand the causes, and a smart system cannot be complicated system. That's mean is you really focus on the things that can bring the most value. There's a lot of sometimes safety world that you can be lost, frankly. While you're doing all this, you know you, what you're doing it is done within the regulations. And that's my point is when you train folks, I'm, I'm just saying an example to, uh, you know, make sure like you, you I'm, I'm gonna follow your example tomorrow about vacuum your carpet, right? Dry your carpet, clean your carpet. From simple, when you have a wet weather and you train that process and make sure to do it part of your procedures. Don't tell me I'm doing it for safety. I'm doing it when I open my business, my mid-day check business, when I close my business at the end of the day. If you do that, your floor is going to be cleaned. You're going to have less sweat floors. Hopefully, folks are not going to slip and fall. And you probably complied with a bunch of regulations on the our world and OSHA side in the United States while you're doing this process. That makes sense. I don't know if that's uh, yeah, very much, very much. I have a I have another example as well um, where training can then lead into a better way of doing things. Um, so we we make a wearable solution. Um, basically, we're coaching workers on not getting back and shoulder injuries. So we have a little wearable device that uh, workers wear. And then every time they do a hazardous movement, they get a notification. So it beeps and vibrates. So if you think about that, that's like negative, pretty negative, right? Like they're getting a warning every time they do something bad and they're like, oh, what do I do with this? Um, but the data is not collected to go back to a manager who then looks at it and goes, oh, you're a bad worker, you're a good worker. The data actually goes back to the person themselves. So whether it's through their mobile application on their phone or through a tablet that we set up and we tell them the types of movements they're making, we give recommendations on what they could do better. Um, and usually what we see just from this alone is anywhere from like 30 to 70% reduction in the dangerous movements that they make, which is a pretty good start. But this is a good training control. Um, it's definitely better than watching a video or, or watching someone and then walking out of the room and forgetting about it. You're actually doing the job, getting your feedback. But it starts a process, another process. Firstly, you're raising the awareness of each worker. So... I don't know, if you're a safety professional and you're trying to make all your workers aware of a particular problem, you, you have to talk to each of them individually. You can't, it's really difficult to scale that. Whereas through technologies that are coming now, you can start to scale this awareness. And this awareness kicks off something that is really cool. If you can build a process with your workforce or, or a way of getting their feedback, 
suddenly now you've got the tool in place and you've got all these really aware workers who are now going to start telling you what can be done to improve the workplace because these guys once they are aware come up with really great solutions um, one of the best examples i've had of this is a housekeeper like housekeepers um, basically they're cleaning about 90 rooms a day um, heaps and heaps of injuries heaps of back injuries health and safety basically looked at it and went i oh, don't know what to do they're getting injured from making the bed and there's not really great ways to make a bed unfortunately um, so they got our wearable they wore it they had maybe close to 100 people i think go through the program and then they organized a session you know why is this thing beeping what what, what are the tasks you're doing it turns out a little bit the bed but they were cleaning showers um, and they were grabbing the cleaning cloth in their hand bending over and cleaning the base of a shower and this was on a mine site again so really really dirty sort of red dirt disgusting um, and, and someone then said, well, why can't we just get a brush that is attached to a long stick and we can stand up and clean the base of the, of the shower. Suddenly they just reduced their risk by half. Um, nobody ever thought about it before. Workers didn't bring it up. Nobody saw the data. Data wasn't shared. There wasn't a process to put in place to share the, the insight and the awareness and, and the improvement ideas. As soon as they do all that, they just, reduced half their risk and, and basically smashed the injury rates. So participation within the workforce and then building a way of them actually sharing that with managers is how you how you scale a culture. Yeah. I, I love this example. This is a really great example, man, about just really what, what simple things can lead to <laughs> and work. But what I, I think the key, what I heard here was empowerment. I mean, what, what Matt uh, described with the uh, devices and the technology, it's really in, in connection with the, uh, the employee and the team member, the person, it's really empowerment. You empower that person to really uh, take care of their own health and safety and figure out what's really good for them. And, and that, that, that's just really powerful. Uh, and the voice of, your, uh, of, of the population, it's really part of the empowerment piece. If you listen to that voice and, and observe in a, in a very collaborative way, you, you can overcome any any type of issue, frankly, and, and I, I love the example. Yeah, and a bad safety manager would have seen the data, performance managed the top three risky people out of the yep. business and you know, job done, and then they hire another three people and they get injured. And it's just like, same problem, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the same whereas, problem as still there. It's crazy, right? But anyway, that's, that's a lot of people still do that for some reason, but a good safety manager goes just, be part of the solution. Let's solve this together. We're all we're all smart people. Yeah. We're all humans. We've all got our own brain. Encourage people who are quieter to come up with ideas as well, because they have a different way of thinking, perhaps, than the loudest person that you always hear. And boom, suddenly you just solve a problem. It's not that hard, actually. It's actually pretty easy. Yeah. And what I love about the story that you shared also was that it empowers later for the workers to come up again. You said at first that they were quiet. They didn't say anything. Mm. We don't know the reason why they, they chose not to speak. We, because we're not there, we're not talking to them. But the great thing is that the next time something comes out, there's a higher likelihood that they'll say, oh, remember they gave us this when they figured out that problem? Let's let them know about this issue and see what solutions might be there. Because yeah. that's the little snowball that starts to build the trust, right? Goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning when you said build trust, that's a moment. Yep, yep. that's a great example, yep. yep. You build on that, that's your foundation. You get five of them, you suddenly, it, it goes exponentially, yeah. And all of a sudden you've just got a whole different workforce that feel listened to, feel valued and are gonna probably do your job for you. Uh, okay, some of the regulation stuff you need to do as a safety professional. I've never been one, so I don't actually know what the regulations are. Um, but when it comes to keeping people safe, you build a culture and then they're going to do it for you. Yeah. I mean, if you, I'm if inherently, you... I'm sorry, I was going to say, I'm inherently lazy. So if someone else can do my job for me, I'm going to do that every <laughs> single time. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I love the conversation, what it's leading to. I mean, if you think of it, if, what just we, we talked about today, we talked about safety and a lot of things. We really talked about, we talked about leadership, we talked about trust. We talked about care, we talked about transparency, empowerment, learning. If you think of it at the end of the day, that's really, the, these are the key to really get the safety professionals, the whole industry 
to graduate, frankly, from what's probably, I think, stuck, uh, you know, decades ago in, in a place that we, I feel, we, we're in a dif different generation. We, we you know, and, and that's, I think, the, that these are the keys to improve as we keep going forward. And one of, the, one of the things I don't see a lot of, and I think there's a big opportunity for safety professionals, is I don't see a lot of them going into senior positions. A lot of them stay really technical um, for a long period of time. And if, they, if you want to, that's fine, of course, right? Like you could, technical people are great. They have a lot of value. But some people want to go into management leadership positions. Actually, as a safety professional, you're uniquely en enabled. You have a unique opportunity to actually do that. Um, because you're actually leading a team of people that don't directly report to you. If you can manage them, you can manage people in a direct reporting position as well. So, you know, every now and then I, I get to talk to someone probably similar age to me, I'm, I'm 32, um, who is in health and safety, and you can see they've got some high ambitions. And I tell them that story. I'm like, well, go go try to manage and, and build this culture within a team that doesn't report to you. If you can do that, Go to the operations manager or director and say, no, I want to be a supervisor. I want to manage my own team now. Um, and then when you get into operations, you know, there's a whole other way to progress throughout a, a hierarchy because, you know, then and you start talking about money and, and costs and productivity and stuff like that. So I think people don't realize in the safety profession that there are those pathways to get into operations and, and senior management eventually. Now, I know that we're almost at the end of our time. We're, you know, we have to wind this down, even though it's been an amazing conversation. But before we go, I wanted to, to kind of look at the next stage for, if you, if you will, the safety journey um, of the profession and really moving from um, safety professionals being those doers that we've been discussing so far and, and really kind of progressing to, to help them expand on the idea of um, having the employees and other individuals be more self-serving and really creating ownership of maintaining the safety and health in the workplace. So what are some ideas that you could share with our audience in, in order to help navigate towards that? I've, I've got an extreme example. Uh, again, back to my mining days. Um, where basically the company and it's the biggest mining company in the world um, took all safety personnel offsite. Um, and mine sites are super dangerous places, right? Like unfortunately people die. Um, this, this company hasn't had a fatality for a long time now. But yeah, when I was there, I guess it was maybe six years ago, they took everyone offsite. And basically they said, operations, you are in charge of safety. Um, here's the tools, we'll train you, or there's lots of training anyway, but here's the tools, here's how you do it, and you manage safety yourself. That's a super extreme example, but I think as a safety professional, you almost want to make yourself irrelevant and redundant. Now, you never will, but if you come in with that mindset, suddenly now you, 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 you help transfer some of the things that were dependent on you to the wider team. I love that. I mean, it's a great example. I love that. I think that's the most successful example. When you say the operation side, leadership side, you're responsible. It's your everyday thinking. You're, you're immersed to this. If you are able as a safety professional to build that and take that own journey uh, and not get stuck with the technical pieces, you take on the journey of changing people's lives and minds of your leadership, then you'll be able to be very, very, very successful. And I tell you one, one thing I want to add do not afraid to fail and do not afraid to knock on doors and people don't listen to you five, 10 times. Maybe on the number 20, they'll listen to you exactly how that process is gonna look. And do not afraid to ask questions and learn something you're not comfortable. You know, I think if you do these things, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to change the trajectory of your, your success. Keep asking why as well. I, I, one of the things I was taught is ask why five times. So don't just ask why and have someone tell you, well, this is the way it's always been. And then you accept that. Why? Five times. If you keep asking like why, and then why, and then why, and then why? My five-year-old child does it all the time. It's really annoying. Um, so you'll be annoying while you do it, but you'll get to the root cause of the problem. And then you can actually put a solution in place. Yeah, that's a great point. And I would even put out there to trust 
those you've employed. You know, we're, we're employing adults, not, not children or teenagers, and they're competent at what they do. And the most powerful thing I found when I was working and, st and, and stepping back is looking for those who lean forward. And those are the natural champions in, on the work site. And then, you know, growing and sharing with them the, the things that we need, do need to be doing in order to eliminate and mitigate risks and looking for the identifiers. We call them sometimes leading indicators about potential things coming down the pipeline. And so I wanted to also look at that as an, another piece of the solution is the, the workforce. Agree, agree. I think this is just, just like we stated again, empower, bring the voice together. I think you can sum it by really safety, stronger together. I mean, that's really when you, you bring everybody You'll 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 have a much better success rate than probably you can ever imagine. Yeah, then nothing to add to that last point. It's it's exactly it's the only way to do it in my opinion. Yeah. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tamar. We'd like to give a shout out and a thank you to our sponsors, Soto Analytics. They're helping to prevent ergonomic injury in the workplace. Are you interested in finding out more? Then head on over to soteranalytics.com and you can find your solutions with Soto Analytics. Are you looking for our podcast notes? Head on over to safepedia.com under the podcast tab and you can find the notes for this episode there and so much more. You can also find webinars, articles, Q&As, and lots of safety content to share out with your teams. Until next time, stay safe.